So this Sunday, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series, uh, Life Driven. And so uh, in week one, we just talked about overall what it means to be life driven. And so to be life driven um, simply gets to how we live, how we give, and how we multiply that in the environments that we're in. And so then in week two, we looked at life driven design, how God created uh, all of creation to be tough, to be good, the goodness that reflects him. That's the goodness that reflects him. And so in week three, we talked about life-driven stewardship. We talked about what it means to give, the way God gives. For God so loved the word, he gave. God is a giver, and he's always wanting to give, and he's always wanting to create life. And so and then week four, we talked about life-driven life relationships. And so life-driven relationships are relationships where you feel like you are fully alive and you are thriving. And so this week, we're going to be continuing with uh, life-driven choices. And so life-driven choices, uh, how many have just ever gone out and just felt overwhelmed by the immense number of choices there are out there? It seems like there is for everything. It seems like choices, 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 whether it's where to shop, what to buy, where to eat, what to eat, gluten-free, processed, whole food, GMO, all of these things, like just so many choices. There's just a lot of choices. So there's no doubt that when we finally find something we like, we stick with it, don't we? So it's always fascinating when people come into Starbucks and they have their favorite drink, but because of all the myriad of options, they're not sure what they want to do. And so they come in and they, you know, their favorite drink might be, uh, you know, I want the pumpkin mocha latte chai with the date raisin infusion. Um, I think I'm going to try the lemongrass peppermint mist spray. And you would think that wouldn't be enough choices. The cashier then still gives you more choices. Well, would you like that with or without whipped cream? Really? With whipped cream, with or without a garnish, with a garnish. And no, it doesn't stop there. You know, your total is $8.98. Would you like to round up and give that two cents to the starving children in Bangladesh? And so some of us would just be like, you know, I'm feeling rather philanthropic today. Yes, I'll go ahead and give that two cents. Now, my wife knows that I squeeze the life out of a penny. So my, I'm just going to be honest, you know, my, my, my response is probably going to be two cents. Does it look like I'm made of money? And so um, that's just, you know, the cheap side of me. I'm the guy who orders from the dollar menu and just loves ordering from the dollar menu. That's me all day, every day. And so with all of these choices, uh, according to psychology today, some sources say that we have, we make as many as 35,000 choices per day. And when you account for the seven hours that you are sleeping, that works out to approximately 2,000 decisions and choices that we're making per hour. Choices, choices, and lots more choices, which is why technology has gotten to the point where Artificial intelligence just recommends to us stuff because they know that we don't know what we want to choose. So based on our viewing and our, our reading and what we shop and what we buy and all of those things, it'll make a recommendation. But it typically just makes a recommendation of all the things that you've consumed or that you like, and so you kind of end up in this echo bubble and you never really expand. But occasionally YouTube will help you out by giving you some random video that it recommends. You know, Elon Musk now talks to cats and have solved the mission uh, for getting to Mars or something like that. So you'll click on that and watch it. But there's just a lot of choices, and a lot of these choices are being monetized. They're watching everything we do, every move you make, 
every click you take. You guys are just, you know, you 80s kids. Do you know how to just stay on topic, stay on topic? (laughs) So there's just a lot of choices. So with all of that, this is what it teaches us. All of our choices matter. Every single one of our choices matter. And so we're just going to be talking a little bit about choices and what it means to have life-driven choices uh, in our lives. So let's go to the scriptures. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent, in Hebrew, the Nakash, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent. Now there's a lot of views of the serpent in this particular passage. One view is that the serpent was a mythical creature that this is like an Aesop's fable, it's not literal, it's not really meant to tell. So the serpent is this mythical character. Uh, He's able to talk the same way foxes are able to talk in Aesop's fables. And so the idea is that the snake uh, is helping to carry along the story so that you can learn some kind of moral lesson at the end. But then there's also the serpent is figurative. The serpent represents the evil inclination in all of us that sort of gravitates towards doing the wrong thing, or it can represent chaos. You know, there's some chaos in our lives, or it can represent wisdom, depending on which ancient practice or civilization and how they interpret the symbolism of the serpent. Now, the one I lean towards and um, being the kind of the Bible guy is a literal, is that the serpent is the spiritual being, or it is Satan. This is a literal creature, it's a literal divine creature Satan coming to show up and to have a conversation with the human beings. And where we get this, we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. It says in Revelation 20, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And so what I want you to understand for this, from this passage is, we ask the question, why would the serpent be so concerned about diet? He comes down to earth and has a dietary conversation with Eve. Eve, did God really say, you, you know, you can't eat from any tree? It's sort of like, you know, he would show up today and say, did God really say you can't do keto or you can't do Atkins? And so he's having this conversation, Eve, why is Satan concerned with Eve's diet? What she can and can't eat? Well, it comes down to this. Satan recognizes this. Our choices are daily battles in a spiritual proxy war. All of our choices are the daily battles in a spiritual proxy war. Now, for those who don't know what a proxy war is, a proxy war is there's a little country X. And little country X has a couple of rival factions battling within the country. And faction A says, you know what? We have this ideology. We have this belief. And then a major power comes in and says, you know what, we want to help you along with that. And so we'll supply you with all the things that can help you advance your cause, and you can kind of take over little country X. But the other faction has a different ideology and belief, and so major power B comes in and says, with major uh, faction B, says, hey, we'll give you your resources and other things to help you fight. And they fight this war in this little country, and the major powers never get involved. They're part of instigating the war, but they're not active participants in the war, and so that's called a proxy war. There are two kingdoms within the heavenly realm. There's the kingdom of Satan, and there's the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God, God expands the kingdom of God in his creation and he makes Adam and Eve and he gives them stewardship of the earth and he says, hey, look, you're now a reflection of me and the earth. Now go out and shine my light all throughout the earth. Satan doesn't like this. So Satan comes along and says, you know what? I want a different kingdom to be set up in this domain. And so he starts to mess with the choices that she makes because he realizes this is the way I can rage warfare. Continuing in Scripture 1, it says, uh, verse 1, it says, He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This is always the hook that Satan uses. He comes to Eve and tests her knowledge of the word of God. Did God really say? Does the Bible really mean what it means? Does God's word really have the authority in your life that that it says it should have? And so when he asked that question, Eve does something. In verse 2, Eve says, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. I want you to pay attention to something in this passage. Look at verse 2. Satan asked her something, did God really say this? And he twists what God says intentionally to see if she really knows the word. Then Eve answers, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say don't eat from this one tree. Eve was quick not to give credit for all the abundance that God was offering. She didn't say that. God said, God gave us all of this abundance and fruits and options to help us live and to live these wonderful lives and to be uh, just vibrant for him. She just says, oh, that's kind of what we have options for. But God put this one restriction on my life. He says, I can't eat this. So already you're starting to see the tilt of where her heart and her mind is leaning. Out of all the things that God offers, she only focused on the restriction. Out of all the permissions God offers, she only focused on the restriction. Now, I don't know how you guys are, but I've been guilty of that. I'll just be self-disclosing. I've been guilty of being that person out of all of the good things my wife might do, my kids might do, people who work with me or work for me. When that one mistake comes up, I go, aha. See? That one thing. Rather than being thankful for all the other good things, I focus on the one negative thing. And this is what Eve does. And so principle number two tells us life-driven choices embrace all of the word of God and all of the words from God. Life-driven choices embrace all of the word of God. The word of God, the Bible, all of that is ours. All the promises, all the things, all the yeas and amens, all of those things in the word of God telling us how to live, how to love God, who God's character is. All of it is there. But then we trust all the words of God. Sometimes God speaks to you personally. He might tell you, this is what I have for your life. This is what I want you to trust me with. I don't want you to get angry in this situation. I don't want you to fight back. I don't want you to rebuke the person. I, don't want you, I just want you to trust me that I have this situation and you don't fight your battles. Let me fight your battles. 
And God says, trust me with that. Verse number four, it says this. The serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First, he directly contradicts the word of God. And then he throws a little truth in there that satisfies Eve's deep down desire. Understand something. When Satan comes to us, most of the time Satan doesn't offer something he doesn't know that we already want. So I don't smoke and I can't stand cigarette smoke. So how much advantage is Satan going to have when he says, hey, go to Henry and tempt him with a cigarette? No. He's going to say, no, 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 no. I've, I've kind of watched Henry over the last 50 years of his life, and these are the things. Hold this bait out for him, and we can probably grab him. Satan brings the bait. So Satan brings a bait that he is aware that Eve probably already secretly kind of wants because it's kind of interesting. Taking a notice of her proximity, I don't believe this conversation was happening somewhere off from the tree. I think it was happening somewhere around or near the tree. And I'll give my justification why in just a little bit. But here's what's funny. Satan says, God knows your eyes will and you will, he's feeding that desire in her. He knows what her deep wounds are. He knows what her emotional states are. He knows what she secretly desires. And he puts claws in that and says, God is trying to keep you from something. He besmirches the character of God in order to get her to listen and then feeds her desire. And his whole goal in this is he's trying to disrupt the relationship between her and God. Which is why we have to understand this. If we're doing life-driven choices, life-driven choices will build a relationship with God and honor his character. When people come to you have a conversation... Take a moment before you engage in the conversation and just observe the conversation, how they are talking about other people. And it will most likely tell you how they will talk about you. How they are willing to talk about others with you is probably likely how they will talk about you with others. And so Satan was happy to have this conversation that besmirched the character of God and here's what's scary. A, Eve was willing to indulge it. And so goes along with this character, uh, go along with this conversation, besmirching the character of God. But then in verse 6 it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, that's Tav. And Tav again is reflection of God because in Mark 10, 18 it says, no one is good except God alone. It reflects God. It was good for food. Now, in the ancient tradition, there is kosher food and there is non-kosher food. There is kosher food, food stuff that God says, this stuff is actually stuff you should eat. And then he says, this stuff is not food, stuff you should not eat. And then she took something that was forbidden 
And she said that this is something God wants us to consume. And you see this happening all through our society today. All over place, this is happening. Because you see it in our arts and entertainment. You see it in our business world. You see it in our education. You see it in our families. You just see it. They keep making rules that go against what God would say is good for us. And then when they change the rules, something that is not good for us, they tell us it's good for us. But here's what's interesting in verse 6. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And this is what we have to understand. Life-driven choices build relationships that brings us and others close to God. Life-driven choices should bring us and others closer to God. And so isn't it interesting when somebody starts to sink and kind of goes down the wrong rabbit trail, how they always want to kind of take other people with them? Well, they say misery loves company. And so when misery loves company, they'll drag you along with you. And so it's like, hey, I'm going down this path. Why don't you come along with me? And he was happy to go along. And then it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They found out they were exposed. But more so than that, I want to read from the New Jenkins translation. Then they came to see that the other person wasn't who they thought they were. So they stopped being emotionally authentic and real and started acting fake and putting on masks as their new social norm. I found out that you were a human being capable of mistakes, doing things wrong just like me, and I said, you know what? All of you church people are fake. I don't want any part of it. So I'll just come up and I'll just show. And so when you ask me how I'm doing What do we say? Fine. Fine. And so for those of you who received the weekly e-letter, this is where an article really pushes home what's going on in our churches. An article entitled The Lonely Crowd, Churches Dying to Friendlessness. It found, uh, they quoted a a, um, statistic that said, One in 25 people who are attending church don't have any friends. In church. And so I posted this article on my Facebook page. And it was interesting across generations, across race, across region, everyone chimed in with saying, That's my experience. From military people who travel to different parts of the world and attend churches off base said it's hard to get inducted or part, become part of the family of the church. And so I just want to read um, a couple of comments, which I don't have with me. Is that paper there? Haha, I do have them. So a couple of comments. Off the article, a person said this, my husband and I frequently have people over for a meal, however rarely receive an invitation back. Not that we do this for a return invitation, 
We have wondered why. Maybe it's because we are not in the senior leadership in the church or we're not important. We just have regular jobs and are ordinary people. We are gracious hosts and never rude to our guests even when we don't agree with them. Maybe we're, not, we're, maybe we're just not that interesting. A person who was a, a friend of mine, uh, he posted this. Uh, he's about 24 years old. He says, in response to the article, especially my generation, I hear a lot of this from my classmates. People have to put on this fake mask and aren't willing to go through life with another unless it's on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Another person who was in the military and traveled a lot of places said, this is 100% true, being in the military and traveling around the world. It has always been a struggle to make true connections with people in church. People are seeking authentic relationship. When Satan comes and he asks us about these choices, he wants to destroy relationships. And an example of this happens with the first two siblings of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter four, verse one, it says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth the man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel killed flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, to the Lord And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but not Cain's. And so we see that, you see this uh, element of life-driven stewardship here. Abel was willing to remember that the firstborn belongs to God, so he gave back to God what belongs to God. But then Cain, he just gave any old offering. But their offering reflected their relationship with the Lord. When I think highly of someone, I do my best to try to give the best type of gift I think that would honor that relationship. When you don't think much of the relationship, you re-give something that somebody else gave you, and you just throw it their way because you don't want it. And so Cain just gave anything, and Abel says, man, I love this relationship I have with the Lord. I just want to give my best. And Cain says, you know what? The relationship's all right. Well, here's some stuff, Lord. I mean, you should be thankful I gave that. I mean, I didn't have to give that. And so the giving relationship and the loving relationship, they go together. So as I ask the worship team to come back up, I'm going to leave you with this last reflection. Our worship is a reflection of our relationship with God and is directly reflected in our relationship with others. Our worship is a, de- is a reflection of our relationship with God and is a directly reflected in how we do relationship with one another. So here's my challenge. As you've heard this article and you hear that there are lonely people that are probably sitting next to you in the pew that you're sitting In the next 24 to 48 hours, what first step will you take to move towards having a real friendship and relationship with someone you do not know or do not know well? In the next 24 to 48 hours, what first step will you take to move towards having a real, genuine, authentic, life-giving relationship and friendship with someone in this church or outside of this church that you don't know or don't know well? 
And this is your opportunity. This is our opportunity to make a life-giving choice for somebody else's life. The same way Christ did for us. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We thank us how you have given, Lord. Help us to make the choice like you made in the garden, God, where you said, not my will, but your will be done. Help us to build relationships, God, with people who are hurting. Show us who the people who are hurting. And help us to open our hearts, Lord. Help us to risk vulnerability. Help us to risk betrayal, God, in the hopes of building true, authentic, and genuine friendship and relationship. Just as you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.